have you ever been in a place before where you just felt like you didn't belong there? Kind of a place where it was obvious that you didn't fit in? A place where you knew you weren't at home? Try wearing a crimson t-shirt at Neyland Stadium, okay? (laughs) Or maybe you are on a foreign mission trip somewhere in a land where the culture is very vastly different from ours where we live. Or hang out with a group of middle schoolers for a little while, okay? In the movie, The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy was whisked away from her home in Kansas by a tornado, and she's plopped down in the land of Oz, and as she gets out and surveys the the land and sees all the munchkins running around and all the things happening, she turns to her dog Toto and says, I have a feeling that we're not in Kansas anymore, right? I want you to understand today that if you're a Christian, you're not in Kansas anymore. The Bible tells us that we are exiles in a foreign land. And as a Christian, this world is not our home. That was what the beauty of that song we just sang was all about, is that one day we're going to rise to be with the Lord. And since the fall in the Garden of Eden, God's people have been exiles waiting for him to establish his eternal kingdom. And so that means that we should not be surprised when lost people act lost. We should not be surprised when we see things happening in the world around us. Because we're not in Kansas anymore. And... We can sit in the corner tapping our heels saying there's no place like home or we can get on mission as exiles in this land. And so what we have to discern is this. How are we to live out our faith in a world that's not our home? How are we to live out our faith in a world that's not our home? And a lot of times people will go to two extremes in this. On on the one extreme, they'll make their mission to combat the culture around us. On the other extreme, people will compromise with the culture and become just like the world. But what we're going to see in our passage this morning is that we have to be in the world but not of it. We have to love the world with grace and with truth. We have to be salt and we have to be light. And so we're going to begin a new sermon series today called Exiles as we walk through the first seven chapters of the book of Daniel. And as we study the story of Daniel, we're going to see what it looked like for this young man to live the ordinary life in a land that wasn't his home. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's word. If you are able, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 today. We're going to read the first eight verses of Daniel. The word of God says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, 
and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. And the king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them, from the Judahites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But the chief eunuch gave them names. He gave them the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. And Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food, or with the wine he drank, so he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to, de- not to defile himself. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at chapter 1 today of Daniel, the action step that I want us to consider as we are hearing this word today is this, to examine your daily faithfulness to God. I want each of us, as we're walking out of this place, to examine our daily faithfulness to God. Because chapter 1 of Daniel is all about faithfulness to God. If we're going to be exiles living out our faith in a land that's not our own, it's going to require faithfulness to God. And as we look at this particular passage this morning, Daniel chapter 1, we're going to see that he showed faithfulness in the unexpected, that he showed faithfulness in the overwhelming, and he even showed faithfulness in the undeserved. And so the first thing that we see at the beginning of chapter 1 is that he showed faithfulness in the unexpected. And right out of the gate here in Daniel's prophecy, we see in verse 2 that the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and he put the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, the language there says that God handed Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. So that means that this was God's plan. This wasn't a surprise, that this is something that God did. He handed him over to Nebuchadnezzar. And so God was using this pagan tyrant to bring judgment upon the people of Judah because of their unfaithfulness to God. Now, when you read through the Old Testament, this isn't what you would have expected at all. I mean, all of the Old Testament is leading up to uh, this, this point is showing how God had promised the people a land, and he brought them there. Even though they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, he, they finally crossed the Jordan River, and they entered the land, and they, and they conquered the land, and they, they inhabited the land, and God was blessing them. And so it sounds like they would all live happily ever after, but that's not what happens as you continue through the Old Testament story. The people forsook the Lord, and they faced punishment for it. And God warned them of this, even as they were entering into the land. He says, if you'll be obedient to me, you'll receive these blessings. If you're disobedient, you'll receive these curses. One of which was in Deuteronomy 28, verse 64, where he says, The Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you will worship other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. 
And so God warned them that they would face punishment if they turned from him. And so they did. Now, for us to get a, an understanding of the sort of the backdrop of where we are in this story in the Old Testament, we know that God uh, set apart King David to be the king over Israel. His son Solomon uh, followed after him. After Solomon, this, the, the kingdom was split in two into the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. The the northern kingdom of Israel was the first one to kind of steer away from the Lord, and so they received punishment in the form of Assyria coming and conquering the northern kingdom of Israel. Judah was still there for a little while uh, until uh, the Assyrians, who had conquered the northern kingdom, were conquered by Babylon, and now Babylon is coming and conquering the southern kingdom of Judah. One historian says that around 605 B.C., Nineveh and Assyria had fallen. There was only Egypt and Babylon that were seeking world supremacy. And the new king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, went out and defeated the Egyptians. And he's marching on to Judah during Jehoiakim's reign. He took thousands of Hebrews back to Babylon, including Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar made two more attacks when he heard of rebellion in Judah. Each time he took captives, including Ezekiel, the prophet. Only a remnant of the weakest, poorest, and least threatening Jews remained. He set up a puppet king, Zedekiah, to sit on the throne of Judah and made him swear an oath of allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar. But Zedekiah turned and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar and allied with enemies. And when Nebuchadnezzar heard about this, he came back for the last time in 586 B.C. and he raised Jerusalem to rubble. And he sent the temple up in flames and destroyed the land. It says that he, uh, Zedekiah was forced to witness the slaughter of his sons. And then his eyes were put out. So that would be the last thing that he ever saw. And he was carried off to exile in Babylon as well. And so this is the backdrop to what we're reading here in the book of Daniel. This is everything that's been going on. And nothing is like they had planned. Judah's destroyed. Families are torn apart. The land is barren. Everything is not as they had hoped. And sometimes in life, God's plan doesn't always look like what we would expect. Anybody ever had things go on in your life and you're like, what is happening here? Sometimes, it could be that God is allowing some sort of punishment in our lives because of sin. And the Bible's really clear that our sin has consequences. You just read the passage in the Old Testament. The same thing is stated in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, for example, Paul says, Whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. And so there, there are consequences for our sin. For example, if you lie all the time, then don't be surprised if people don't believe you. Right? Uh, if you put poison in your body, then don't be surprised if your body becomes sick. I mean, there's, there's consequences for sin. However, it might not be that at all. 
It might be that God is doing something in your life that you won't ever understand until you get to heaven. I think about the Old Testament story of Job, where Job lost his his family and his health and his wealth. And he never even knew what we know as we read through the story of Job about this battle, this spiritual warfare that's going on all around him. And in all of it, he didn't sin, and he, he continued it being faithful to the Lord. In Job 1, verses 21 and 22, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. I think about the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers who was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and spent years in an Egyptian prison. And God was using this man's life to to lead Egypt and to deliver his people. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says, You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good, to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Now when you look at Daniel's life, there's nothing about Daniel's life that would, that would make you think that he was participating in any of this idolatry of the Hebrew people. I mean, by all accounts, he seems to be a devout, faithful Jewish young man. He seems like there's, no, there's nothing that he's being punished for in this passage of Scripture. But you don't find him throwing a pity party for himself because of where he is now. You don't find him abandoning the Lord because of what's happening in his life. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 19, Jesus is talking about the end times. And there he says, by your endurance, gain your lives. By your endurance. And so today I want you to know that you're exiles in this land. This is not your home. And so are you going to remain faithful even when God's plan looks different than your plan? When you don't get into the school that you wanted to get into. When you lose a loved one. When your company lets your job go. When things in your life get turned upside down, are you going to stand firm and show faithfulness even in the unexpected? That's what we see here in the life of Daniel. But the second thing that we see in this passage is that if we're going to be faithful to God, living as exiles, we're going to have to be faithful even in the overwhelming. Go down to verse 8. There, this is a a pivotal point in chapter 1 where it says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank, so he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. They were wanting him to eat all this food that would have been unkosher, would have been against the, the, the rules, the dietary laws of Judaism. And so he says, I, I want to be faithful to the Lord. I want to be faithful to what God has commanded of us. And so he goes and he asks permission from the man who is over him. Hey, would it be okay if we didn't eat this stuff? And he's like, I'm not sure about that. And he's like, but just do it for a couple of days. and make, we'll, You'll see, you'll see. So he's eating the, eating the vegetables, drinking the water. And it sees that their, their eyes are brighter, they're stronger, they're, they're healthier looking than all the other ones. And so he continues to let them do it. 
But make no mistake, as you read the description of what's happening here in chapter 1, these young men were brought in to be catechized in the ways of Babylon. In verse 4, it says that they were to find these young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. And so there's this three-year process here of reprogramming these young men. You need to learn our language. You need to read our books. You need to eat our food. You need to become Babylonian citizens. They even tried to erase any sense of their Jewish identity by giving them new Babylonian names. Don't call him Daniel. Call him Belteshazzar. They were trying to erase everything about them that, that, that uh, was a reminder of the Lord. In verse 7, the chief unit gave them names, Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, Abednego to Azariah. You go, Why, what's so important about these name changes? Well, the meaning of their Hebrew names were all about the one true God. The, the name Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means God has been gracious. Mishael means who is what God is. Azariah means God has helped. But then they were given these new names, these Babylonian names. They were all about false Babylonian gods. Belteshazzar means Bel will protect. Shadrach means that he's inspired of Aku. Meshach means he belongs to Aku. Abednego means he's a servant of Nago. And so they give them all these new names that were all about the Babylonian gods. They're trying to erase everything about God in their lives. This is an all-out assault on their relationship to God by the forces of evil. It's overwhelming. And so the question is, are they going to stand? Are they going to remain faithful? They're learning the language. They're, they're reading the books. They're, uh, they're being inundated with the world. The easy thing to do would just be to go along. <laughs> just sort of try and blend in with the Babylonian culture. You know, they can still be covert followers of God, right? But that's not at all what they did. Daniel determined not to de defile himself. And under enormous pressure, under overwhelming circumstances, Daniel stood out as a light here in the darkness. Thomas Akempis wrote, wait for the Lord, behave yourself manfully, be of good courage, do not be faithless, but stay in your place and do not turn back. That's what Daniel's doing here. He's standing firm, not turning back. Because God's law doesn't change based on our circumstances or on our setting. It was still the same, and so Daniel is living it out, even though now he is in exile in a foreign land. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Peter says to the New Testament church, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul, to conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they'll observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. He said, I want you to, to, to shine forth, even as exiles, so that the Gentiles, those, those who didn't know the Lord, 
Even though they, they want to run you down, they'll see that your good works and they'll give glory to God. This is the same Peter who walked with Jesus for three years as a disciple, but then denied he even knew him on the night that Jesus was arrested. Right? All of a sudden, the circumstances were overwhelming for Peter. He's there in the courtyard outside of where Jesus is being tried. And a slave girl says to him, you're one of his disciples. I think I've seen you with him. No, I don't know who that is. No, surely you're one of them. Your, your accent even gives you away. You're, you're one of his followers for sure. And he curses her and says, I do not know the man. So when the heat was turned up, Peter folded in that moment. But now you see him writing this letter to the New Testament church, urging these Christians, stand firm under overwhelming circumstances. Today, I want you to know you're in exile in this land. This world is not your home. So are we going to remain faithful to God even when all of the world is pressing upon us and steering us down a different path? Because we're catechized into the ways of the world from the moment that we're born. The world has a plan for your life that's not God's plan. The world wants you to deny God's existence. The world wants you to accept sin. The world wants you to promote yourself. The world wants you to just fit in. The world wants you to just go along. And it's antithetical to the way of the Lord. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And so when everything and everyone else is going the other way, are you going to stand for the Lord? When it costs you, even your friends, even perhaps your family to follow God, will you? Are you going to show faithfulness in the overwhelming? There's a third point that I want us to see in this passage this morning. And that is this. Are we going to be faithful even in the undeserved? Look what happens at the end of the chapter in verse 19. It says that the king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. So what happens here? Daniel and his friends are promoted, <laughs> right? Out of all these young men from all over that they brought in, and they're teaching them the ways of Babylon, the language, the literature, everything, eating the food, except for Daniel and his friends. Out of all of these people, they're the ones that are promoted. And as we've been going through this chapter, we've been talking about the challenge of remaining faithful when things are really tough, of staying committed when things aren't going your way, of Staying faithful even when everything is overwhelming. But there's another challenge that might even be more difficult for us. And that is remaining faithful when things are going well. Of being faithful in the undeserved. When you're receiving blessings. When God is pouring out his goodness in your life. When life is awesome. Notice what Daniel and his friends 
did. The Lord blessed their faithfulness. They advanced beyond all the other young men in the kingdom. In verse 20, it goes on to say, In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. But what you see taking place with Daniel is that he handled success with grace. They were faithful in the valley, but now we see them even being faithful on the mountaintop. And they're not compromising their walk with God as they're moving up in Babylon. They're not taking their eyes off of the one who had blessed them and brought them there. And for many people, that's when they take their foot off the gas. When things are going good. And that's even sometimes when we can become filled with pride. And we can say, well, look where I am now. Look at, look at who I am. Look at what I've become. Look at me. They start to have position and start to have power, even start to have influence. And so many times that's when they fall. James chapter 4, verse 6 the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many times have we heard this story of a Christian leader that the Lord was using in mighty ways, that God was blessing in his life, and he had so many gifts that were being used for the kingdom, and then they have a moral failure? How many times have we seen this story play out? where you have a, a pastor who loses his church because of greed and he mishandles money, or a pastor who loses his church because of lust and he has an affair, or a pastor who loses his church because of anger and he mistreats people. When things seem to be going well in their life and God was blessing a ministry and then they take their eyes off of him and they fall. 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, John says, Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, this is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. I think what might be the most remarkable to me about Daniel chapter 1 is that Daniel remains faithful to God even when he rises to be one of the chief advisors to Nebuchadnezzar. I think that's one of the most remarkable things. To me, it's one of the most admirable things about Reverend Billy Graham, who ministered as an evangelist for decades, who was in the spotlight for years and years, whose name was known worldwide. And who finally went to be with the Lord at age 99. But throughout his entire life, there was never a scandal. Who just walked faithfully with the Lord, even in the undeserved. When God was pouring out blessing after blessing upon his life and upon his ministry. And so when things are going well in your life, are you still looking to God? Or are you only seeking God when you're in trouble? Romans 8, verse 28, the Bible says that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. 
And so this verse, it, 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 gives, us, it gives us hope, it gives us comfort to know that, that we can trust him and be faithful even when things are tough. We can trust him and be faithful even when things are great. And so what we have to discern is this. How are we going to live out our faith in a world that's not our home? Because we're not in Kansas anymore. And you can go to this extreme and say, I'm going to make my life about combating the culture and, and being mad at everybody who's not following after the Lord. Or you can go to the other extreme and you can uh, conform to the culture and become just like it. But we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. Loving a lost world with grace and with truth. Being salt and being light. So this morning, there may be some Christians, as you think about this passage of Scripture, we said the action step for today was to consider your daily faithfulness to God. As you think about this world not being your home, how are you going to live out this faith in this world? Are you going to be faithful when things are unexpected in your life? When the plan didn't go like you thought it was going to go? Are you going to be faithful when everything just crushes down upon you and it becomes overwhelming? Or is that when you throw in the towel? Are you going to be faithful even in the undeserved when things are going well? Are you going to keep your eyes fixed on the Lord and follow after him faithfully? Perhaps you want to spend some time at your seat or even here at this altar in prayer during this time of response to call out to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. Living as an exile in this world, I want my light, my life to be a light, to shine forth for you, to be salt in this world, to be in the world but not of it, to make a difference for you and for your kingdom, like what we see in the life of Daniel. There might be others here this morning who don't have this relationship with God, and today God is speaking into your heart, and he's calling you into a relationship with him because you were created to find your home in him, not in this world. This world is passing away. And the Bible says that all of us will be judged and we'll go to one of two places. We'll either spend eternity in heaven with the Lord or we'll spend eternity in hell separated from him. And the difference is only one thing, your relationship to the Lord through Jesus Christ, our Savior. None of us deserve to go to heaven. I actually, all, the Bible says that all of us deserve to go to hell because all of us have sinned against God and our sin deserves death. But God in his mercy sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin, to die in our place so that we can have life and that we can have forgiveness and that we can have salvation through faith in him. And that can be realized in your life today if you'll call on him to save you from your sin. If you'll turn from your sin and call on Jesus to forgive you, the Bible says that you'll be forgiven, you'll be washed clean of your sin, and you'll be born again, made new to have a relationship with God. And that can happen in your heart today if you'll turn to Jesus. And so in a minute, we're gonna have a time of response. There's gonna be leaders here at the front and they're there to talk with you. If this is something that you want to do in your heart, then you come and say, I wanna make this decision today. There might be others that God is calling to become part of this church family. 
This might be your first time here. You might have been coming for a long time, but you've never uh, you know, joined in with this family. We want you to know that although we're exiles, you don't have to do this by yourself. That God has called us into fellowship together. That we can walk this journey uh, hand in hand to follow after the Lord, to encourage one another and to strengthen one another and challenge one another to grow in our walk with the Lord. And so if this is a decision you need to make, then you can come during this time as well. But however God is speaking to you, now is the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, for the example that we see in the life of Daniel, Lord, who was faithful even in unexpected, difficult, overwhelming times. God, as we look around the world around us, Lord, it's not a lot different. Lord, the world is opposed to Christ. It's not easy to live out our faith. And so, God, I pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us, help us to remain faithful day after day in our walk with you. God, I pray for those here who have never trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would call on you for salvation, that they would be born again into your kingdom. God moved during this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.